0: It's Wednesday, the sixteenth of November, and this is the promotional law practice live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program, and uh, I appreciate you watching. Today on the podcast, we go for about ninety minutes, a little bit less since I got a bit of a late start today. But um, we will cover, of course, UFC two hundred five, the big news. What's next potentially for Conor McGregor? Uh, obviously, there are. I mentioned on the Monday Morning Analyst there were three big events. I forgot there was even Invicta. So there's Invicta, Bellator 165, and then two UFC events on Saturday. So a lot going on this weekend generally. Uh, We can talk about any and all of that as well. Appreciate you guys joining me. A couple of housekeeping notes off the top. If you said hi to me in New York over the weekend, or I should say the week really, uh, thank you so much. So many people came up and said a lot of really nice things. Everybody was cool. There were no weirdos, which I was uh, really happy about. And uh, thank you guys so much for for um, not m- merely being kind and supporting this podcast, but just for being cool people and and great MMA fans. Really, really appreciate it. It was it was last week was really professionally challenging and a lot of work, but uh, a lot of fun too. Uh, other housekeeping note, and you're not going to believe me, but it's really true. So we are in the very, very, very home stretch of these t-shirts. We have basically agreed upon a design uh, here's the goal knock on wood they should be on sale before and ready for christmas so i don't think they'll be ready before thanksgiving which is next week but maybe soon right after that so like a week or two we should be locked up and ready to rock so here we are finally um really happy with the design really happy with uh everything else And if you guys are interested in those you can get them at a place i will soon to an en- be announcing i suppose um and thank you for your patience on that as well okay with that out of the way let us get right to the questions if we can let's see here i was sick the whole week so i'm a little bit i'm fine now but i'm um my body is still expelling all of the grossness Okay, first question. Habib versus Ferguson in a five-round fight, who wins? Man, what a tough question to answer. Um, Lightweight is a really interesting position right now. I think one of the things I find most interesting is now that McGregor is champion, his absence and this contender pileup at the top uh, is creating an interesting dynamic by where contenders are picking themselves off to maintain position. Or I should say, picking each other off to maintain position. So you had Jose and Frankie arguably both deserving a title shot for different reasons. although because he was the long winning champion and sure he got finished quickly. but um, you know, ten years at the top, undefeated, something like that merits uh, uh, potentially a a title a, a rematch or a title shot of some kind. Not case is not ironclad, but it's not terrible either. And then you had Frankie Edgar, who, you know, uh, had lost but had come back had a tremendous win over uh, uh, Chad Mendes to sort of seal the deal, and rather than getting a title shot, had to face Jose Aldo, so they picked each other off. Now, I don't know what's going to happen at lightweight. It might be the case that McGregor takes time off such that, here we go again, the contender pileup at the top of the queue um, is going to force one of these guys to pick the other one off, which is you know, in some ways genius by McGregor, in some ways I think bad for both divisions, but Be that as it may, that's where where they are. So in terms of the question itself, um, Habib versus Tony, man, it's really tough. I feel like Habib would get Tony to the ground fairly easily. And the reason I believe that is not because Tony doesn't have great takedown defense, but because Habib has extraordinary takedowns. And because Tony is willing to play in that space anyway, it's not that he couldn't stuff it if he wanted to and fought a more disciplined game plan. But he doesn't fight altogether all that disciplined. Um, and so I think Habib would eventually and and commonly get him to the mat, but he'd be hard to finish. It, I, I don't know how much damage Habib could do. I think in a five round fight, I'd probably lean Ferguson in a three round fight. I would lean Habib. Um, it'd be a tough contest, man. It'd be a very, very tough contest. I think there's a good case for either one. I will say in this three round contest, Habib looked better than he's looked in a long time. Not really, that I thought the ground and pound was better, but setting up the submission and submission setups, we saw him in the Monday Morning Analyst. And thanks to everyone who watched that, I think it's almost at like seventy thousand views. Um, thanks to everyone who watched that, it 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 is tremendous. Um, his his submission setup there, the way he sort of unwound Tony's or um, Michael Johnson's grip like a clock, and uh, that was pretty great. So. It's hard to say, man. It's really hard to say. These, these are the fights you have to make, and um, it's a shame we didn't see it already. I think either of these guys would have a decent shot at Conor. I think Conor would have a decent shot at either of them. So it's kind of great. I just only worry that these contenders are going to keep picking these themselves off. Um, erstwhile waiting for McGregor to defend the title. I'm not too happy about that per se, but, but in and of itself, it'd be a tremendous, tremendous contest. Oh, someone says the exact same thing. Someone says, I'd pick Ferguson if it was five rounds, Habib if it was three. Someone says, what the F is going on? Do you think Connor should be stripped of the featherweight title? If he doesn't defend it next, yes. Do you think Connor's next lightweight fight should be against the number one contender? Yes. Do you think GSP should get a title shot at welterweight? Uh, It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I wouldn't love it necessarily. Um It'd probably be okay. Uh, I made a video about, a, or I talked about it on my show a couple of weeks ago, and I stand by this. I think if you watched my either my recap on my personal YouTube channel or anything I said in the Monday Morning Analyst, I mean, I don't know how you don't walk away from McGregor impressed. You know, I've been a long, I, th- I think calling me a skeptic of McGregor is a little bit much, but look, I need to see, I'm, I am generally skeptical of claims about the world in any capacity, right? For them to be true, I need to see evidence of them. And so incrementally, as Connor has added more evidence, my skepticism has gone away. And I think two things were true about Saturday Night, and I mentioned this previously. One, Eddie fought a very poor fight, but that Connor fought a really great fight. And I don't think the two are necessarily related. In other words, some of the things Connor was doing were absolutely just magic, independent of um, Alvarez's poor game plan. But it all, I think it's also true that Alvarez had a good game plan, which he abandoned. Not saying if he had followed the game plan, he would have won. Sorry, I got his knees here. Pardon me. Not saying if he had followed the game plan, he would have won necessarily, but it would have been a lot more competitive than. <coughs> pardon me, than what it was, which is to say, not competitive at all. Um, and he's doing something quite magical in, in, in doing that. Like I, he is he is clearly a next level talent. There's no doubt about it that among this generation of fighters. He's among the very, very best, um, if not the best, to do it. I, I just think you have to come to that acceptance point. If, if you're one of these skeptics, and I still see something like, "Ah, Eddie was never that good." Okay, Eddie has his flaws, like any other fighter, but he's he's quite good. Um, he is a credentialed fighter, and McGregor deserves credit for beating him, especially in the way that he beat him—not really handily, but the particular application of his own offense that unbelievable accuracy and power of his left hand that I mean people just continue to not take it seriously. I just can't believe it. Anthony Johnson has this like reputed uh power. Like you can't talk about Johnson without power. You should be talking about McGregor the same way. You should be talking about him the exact well, almost the exact same way, but pretty closely. Um and we still don't talk about him quite like that. Now it's getting a little bit better, but you don't do that. But here's the thing about that someone asked this question earlier And I don't know the answer to it. I don't really know that anyone knows the answer to it because we've never seen someone have to do it except maybe now, which is to say, someone says, what's harder, like not working your way through a queue and then picking off guys at the top or standing at the top of the queue and accepting each additional challenger? And I think on your face, I think a lot of people might say, on its face, rather, a lot of people might say, well, probably the former, right? Because you're fighting better guys each time, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. I do think there is, and I mentioned this before, something to be said about the fact that if you stand a post and you let each wave of contender come, um, holding that line is exceedingly difficult. Very few guys have ever done it. And that's the old, or I should say at least the traditional way of thinking about dominance in mixed martial arts, not really consistency over time, but consistency over time, at least in a weight class, and then moonlighting occasionally in a weight class above, not really occupying the top spot in both. That's the, that's the way in which we have examined excellence. This new way where you're hopping around, and yeah, you're fighting tough guys, in fact, very, very tough guys, but you're not defending the title, at least not yet, um, that's a very different kind of achievement. It's not a lack of achievement. It's just a different kind of achievement. And I don't know the answer to that because I really believe that we have a lot of evidence to suggest that even when you think a guy is dramatically overmatched the act of defending a title over time, it is it is it is perilous territory. It's just hard to do for reasons you can't anticipate and for reasons you can't. On paper right now, McGregor like looks like borderline unbeatable, you know? But we know in MMA things can change on a dime. So um credit to him for the heights he has achieved. They are extraordinary. Um he has he changes the scope of one's imagination about what's possible both inside and outside of the cage. But if we're just asking if we're just asking you know um what should be next i really believe that he's got to defend this against contenders you know taking the third ds fight to me seems like i mean absolute non-starter and i and I, of course i understand the market forces in play here we all do a Diaz trilogy fight could do a lot um for both guys and for the sport no argument but it is absolutely not what is needed not needed at all and uh I really believe that to to, to fully grasp Conor's greatness such as it is, doing what he's doing is a great way to look at it. But I think an even better way to look at it would be to marry what he's doing and then let's start seeing you fight some other guys who are ready to take a shot at that title. Ready, deserving, at the top. Let's see what you got there. And if you can start picking those guys off, I mean, look out. <laughs> look out, you know. Uh, it would be it would be a wild thing to witness, and I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility at all. I think you, you can easily marshal a case for Conor defeating Habib. You can very much more marshal a case for Conor defeating Tony Ferguson. These are not crazy thoughts at all. But um, you know, how many times have we seen that what we think is possible in MMA and what we think is likely in MMA? A lot of times it's true. A lot of times it's not. So I just think we need to figure that out. And holding these belts. While contenders pick each other off, I just think is, I I just don't think we can allow that too much longer, but it's not up to me to decide. So there you go. Mounted Crucifix. Why is this such an underutilized technique in MMA? It can be extremely effective. Are fighters not practicing that position move in the gym enough? Or is the defense against the mounted crucifix among all fighters relatively high, which is why we rarely see it attempted successfully? Um, this is sort of like asking why aren't meow-esque barambolos more common in jiu-jitsu? And by that, I mean as good as they do them because it's hard. It's a hard position to achieve. You have to be inside control. You have to be able to control the forearm. You have to be able to control the near arm. You have to be able to control the torso. You have to make sure the hips don't move like they're supposed to. It's very, very difficult to get into Mounted Crucifix. When you see Habib do it like that, don't, don't take that for granted. That is an extraordinarily difficult position to move into and to maintain and not only to maintain then to do damage from yeah once you get there it's a powerful position like if we just start in mount mounts a powerful position but to get to mount especially on the elite guys is very very difficult so i'm sure people are practicing it but the amount of energy it takes to get into it if you're not extremely good at it in terms of getting there and then holding it, it might feel like a waste of your time. For someone like Habib, who can shred shred your guard in a matter of seconds and can set it up from half guard very easily, it makes a lot of sense. But it's not that guys are not trying. It's that it's hard. It's super hard. It's to control another guy is very hard. And to control a guy who's trained is really hard. And to control a guy who's trained and really good at resisting restraint is extremely hard. Um. You just can't take these things for granted. Just uh, how do I explain it? If you went to a jiu-jitsu school and for six months, a purple or let's say a brown belt, not even a blue, a high-level blue even, put you in full guard and asked you to break it, um, there's a decent chance you wouldn't necessarily be able to, not merely because you wouldn't know the exact ways to open the guard or that they might be good at resealing it. Or if you try, I mean, it's hard to break the guard from your knees. You always need to stand when you want to break a guard, at least in pure jiu-jitsu. And so standing up, they'll pull you right back down and sweep you. Like, it's hard, man. It's hard to break someone's guard. Now add breaking, then add passing, then add controlling, and then add the actual sliding the knee over, controlling the far side arm, and then adding damage. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Habib makes it look like, you know, you're just standing up out of a chair. Oh, anyone can stand up out of a chair except the totally infirm. That's just how he makes it look, man. Habib, Ferguson, Aldo, or Holloway. Luke, who would you like for Connor to face next? Of those four, I'd rank it as such: Habib. Um, if Holloway beats Pettis, then Holloway. If not, then Aldo. Then Ferguson last. And Ferguson might have the best chance of all of them, or not, depending on your perspective. But that's 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 my rank ranking. Uh, if you have a different one, I can understand it. But that's how I see it. I just feel like Habib is the guy who's ready to rock. Um, makes a lot of sense for him. I think it'd be a really interesting style matchup between the two. I feel like Ferguson would take too many risks with a guy like McGregor. Maybe not. Maybe Ferguson would blast him out. I don't know. But I think I feel like Ferguson has the style to beat McGregor in some ways, but then not the application of it. Um. Aldo, I don't know if that I'll necessarily like his chances, but let's make a point about Aldo and Holloway, right? Um, people keep making who should fight... <clears throat> pardon me. People keep making who should fight McGregor next a function of who has the best chance against him. And we can debate that. Maybe you think it's a beam. Maybe you think it's Aldo. Maybe you think it's Holloway. Maybe you think it's it's um, Ferguson. I don't know, but while that's an interesting question and an important question, and I do think part of the overall equation, that is not ultimately the defining question. And I keep trying to get folks to understand this, or at least maybe appreciate it a little bit more. This, the 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 overarching question is. Um, which contender has positioned himself enough to rate a title shot, right? Which contender is at the top of that line? And there's a lot of guys at the top of that line, not quite Holloway. Maybe you can say Aldo is since he's the interim champ. So maybe Aldo would be first, in, depending on your ranking. Um, if he's not going to fight featherweight this year, he absolutely needs to give that up. There's just, it's insane to keep that. Um, but the question is, have you done enough work to move yourself to the top of the division and if so, that's really the most important question. We have these ideas like, well, Connor would just waste him. Oh, this guy stands no chance against Connor. And I'm not saying that's an irrelevant um, consideration, but if that's your overarching consideration, then you would never really make any fight, would you? Or at least not many. If your if your consideration is basically what chance a guy would have, based on just a series of assumptions, many of which could be bogus, you don't. You don't need to make fights; just let him be king for life, right? The whole idea is that our biases about who and who would, who would win, who would fail, um, they may have some relevance, but ultimately, if that's the sole arbiter of title shots, the guy you favor all the time never needs to fight. The fact of the matter is, they do; they do need to fight because even if we don't give someone a chance, this is a sport full of surprises. This is a sport with a very little margin of error. And yeah, maybe he goes in there and blows their brains up. Okay, but at least he went through the process of doing it. He went through the process and executed on it, and now we can say definitively he has done that. Um, as it stands, he has no title defenses at featherweight, and of course he just earned the lightweight title. He can't have a defense quite yet, but you get the idea. Like That we feel like someone wouldn't necessarily do all that well, uh, not irrelevant, but that doesn't override whether or not they have pushed themselves to the top of the queue and whether or not as a champion, they have a responsibility to defend that title. I know we are talking about an age where market forces seem to take precedence over this. I am not blind to it. I am not pretending. I am not aware of it. Um, I am aware of all of these things, but I do believe that if you really succumb to that, um, it's not that you get bad fights or something. Maybe he would fight Tyron Woodley next. That would be incredible. Who would be against such a thing? But, um, this architecture ultimately serves the long-term interests of the sport it serves the long-term interests of uh it's it's um it's not merely in an abstract sense that it's better for the sport it is it is helpful in designating and lining up it is it is the machinery that makes everything move in a single direction um Conor McGregor has such control of the market forces that you feel like it's not necessary. But when he's gone, then what? Um, you will rely on this, to a large extent, you will rely on this skeletal system that is this contendership queue. It has value. It has meaning. It has significance. And I feel like just throwing the baby out with the bathwater because Connor feels it feels like Conor transcends it, and in many ways maybe he does, I just feel like is, is a bad idea. It's long-term. It's a very, very bad idea. You have, to, you have to adhere to this to some degree. Um, and, you know, no title defenses basically in a year when you're healthy. Mm, not sure how much I think that's a good idea. All right. UFC 205 Woodley versus Thompson. 205 was incredible. A lot of people have come out with different opinions about the Woodley versus Thompson fight. Two of the judges scored different rounds, 10-8 for Woodley. One of the judges thought Woodley won, and the other one felt it was a draw. I'm curious what your reaction was to this fight and how you scored it. I think in real time, I scored it a draw. Um, I have to go back and – I haven't watched it again, but that was generally my impression was it was a draw. I had a 10-9 and went round one. You could have had a 10-10 there, maybe in rounds two or three. Five, I thought Wonderboy won. Four was a 10-8 for me for Woodley. So somewhere in there is about a draw or so. This person writes – I had scored the fight first round for Woodley, 10-9, second for Thompson, third for Thompson, fourth round for Woodley, 10-8, and fifth for Thompson. Basically what I had. So I scored it a draw. Full disclosure, I watched this fight live only that time and after a few adult beverages. This was an incredible contest. Let's see the rematch. Yeah. Um, Someone says below this, and I think it's a great point, this is an incredibly hard fight to score. Yes, it is. Watching live, I actually was very convinced Wonderboy won, but upon watching it a second time in a vacuum, the only thing I learned to be true is this fight is so tough to score. Round one could have definitely been a 10-8 or 10-9 for Woodley. Rounds two and three were very close in the effective striking category, but Octagon control would yield to Wonderboy if if it went down that far. Let's see. If if you're saying damage was basically negligible um, and effective aggression... Who would have effective aggression in that one? I mean, it depends. <laughs> Woodley, is, Woodley told me he purposely backed up. So then what's what's, what's the effectiveness there, you know? Uh, but two really was close. So I could see that going to Woodley, Wonderboy, or a draw justifiably in any way. Round four could be a 10-8, 10-9, depending on how you feel about it. Round five was pretty clearly Wonderboy, agreed. Bottom line being, the scorecards being all over the place is completely understandable, and a draw makes sense. But depending which ways you lean in which rounds it could have gone either way. Uh, I mentioned this during the Michael Bisping fight, which I think will very much serves the same kind of purpose in illustrating after you see a fight, it's not one or two scorecards that can reveal themselves to be justified. It can be two different winners, right? Here's why I think this guy won XYZ, you know, and so forth. And the math can pull you in two different directions. That's the 10-point must system. The 10-point must system allows for divergence to such a degree that neither person won or both won, or not both, but both depending on who you listen to, right? One could have this and then one could have that. Um, It is so wide open and so broad and so... God, it just it pulls you in directions that maybe you don't even want to go. You might even feel like a guy won a fight, but you can't score it for him. Um, in this particular case, I I wouldn't have mind. I, and frankly, I don't know. Who, who did you feel won that fight when you watched it? Who felt like the winner to you? To me, it felt like Woodley after that fourth round shellacking. Like, who did the most damage to the other guy? You know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like Henderson had a couple of rounds, maybe that fifth round, and then sort of got pieced up a little bit in the rest of those. That's kind of what happened to Woodley and and um, Wonderboy. Only difference is that Woodley, the 10-8 that he scored, really put a beating on him. Um, and in many cases, you could argue potentially. I'm not saying it was definitive. But if they had stopped it in that striking blitz, I'm not necessarily sure I would have been upset with it. And I think if the roles were reversed, where if it was Thompson beating up Wonder uh, Woodley, how many of you would be upset with it if they had looked the exact same way? i'm I'm not sure too many would be upset about it. If it was Connor beating up Eddie Alvarez, would would we have been okay with the stoppage? i, I think we would have. Um, it's pretty close. I don't think it's so definitive that there's no argument about it, but it it's one of those things where it like basically passes the smell test. Now credit to to Wonder Boy Thompson for hanging on. Wow, he's incredible, right? And I mentioned this on my uh, recap on my personal YouTube channel. I see a lot of people always talking about karate guys as like slick and clever and they have an interesting skill set, but they never really get credit for being tough. You know, they don't get the same kind of credit as like the mangled ear, you know, wrestler, uh, you know, jogging in sweats at four in the morning in the Iowa winners. They don't ever get those kinds of credit, but they need to. They need to guys like donor boy thompson is as tough as tough as they come um and as skilled frankly i just think the interesting part about that for me is i've been marveling at it i haven't had a chance to go back and watch it but just thinking about it anyway was that like (laughs) i asked woodley why he didn't take him down he's like i just don't know coaches were calling for it i knew i was supposed to do it i just didn't do it but the fact that he was able to stand with him and f- and I'm not saying in each interval he was the better striker. A lot of what he was doing was he told me he was backing up because he knew if he if he charged into Wonder Boy he'd get chewed up. So he wanted to back up and make Wonder Boy come into him. That's why he was doing a lot of the backing up that he was doing. And so I, I, you know, you can argue about what's how effective it was. And he was moving away a lot of the times. He was not engaging in every single circumstance. It wasn't like two kickboxers clashing into each other over and over. But you know. In terms of who got the better of the who or who in terms of who got better you know what i'm trying to say i'm sorry guys i'm sick who got the better of the other guy i mean it's not too hard to figure that out you know uh pretty crazy pretty crazy that tyron woodley was able to do that i really thought that like i knew he was better than johnny Hendricks, but i was like you know how much better i don't know you know what's this really going to be like um significantly significantly a good question wonder boy clearly didn't have what it takes this time i don't get the obsession with seeing an immediate rematch wonder boy was nearly finished two ways was outstruck by f- roughly 50 percent according to fight metric taken down and more damaged i would give wonder boy two positives cage control yet fighting against the cage seemed part of woodley's plan and tenacity he took a beating well and evaded that nasty submission attempt but i have trouble calling taking a beating and uh that a positive I'd be willing to bet the only reason Woodley was so gassed in the fifth was because he spent three minutes of the fourth in nonstop exertion brutalizing Wonderboy. Sure, it's a draw on paper, but does that mean we can't read between the lines? All three judges scored it differently so clearly it was hard to score, but more so I think it highlights the shortcomings of a 10-point must and the different interpretations of it. These, there are still huge inconsistencies on 10-8s. Woodley was the better fighter that night, and I didn't see anything to suggest it be a much different fight in a couple of months. Let the fighters develop and have a rematch down the road and we are more likely to see a different and more distinct result. My, you know, my initial thought was that a guy like Wonderboy can make more adjustments between the two, but actually feel like it's – now I'm wondering if that's not correct and maybe it's Woodley, not least of which is because imagine if Woodley actually mixes in takedowns more and it has a decent level of success. The interesting part to me about watching Wonderboy off of his back was defensively very sound, very thorough for the most part. Yes, he got beat on a little bit, but, you know, it's – tyrant freaking woodley on top of him the welterweight champion um but there was just no offense there was no offense from his back it was just a lot of holding covering up blocking controlling inside space which is fine there's nothing i mean there's nothing wrong with that but it 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 wasn't like woodley i mean did woodley ever feel like if i got to be really careful with my posture because i might get triangled or armbarred or swept like there was none of that you know and um you know contrast that with a guard like um let's say carlos condit Carlos Condit is always working underneath, always trying to you know take you off of your base, always trying to throw up a submission or or some, something. You know, He's always working underneath. That's a very, very different kind of guard. Um, you just didn't really see that from Wonderboy. And I'm not saying he doesn't have that, but he didn't show it to us in this fight. And so I can see how Woodley, if he can get the takedown again, which again is maybe he can't, but I'm assuming that he can, that's another wrinkle he can add to this. And I really felt like also that takedown from Woodley Really affected Wonderboy's willingness to commit. Um, Woodley said he felt like his takedown the first round and the way in which he was able to move around the cage took down the kicks of Wonderboy and it left him having to primarily rely on his hands, which is not his predominant weapon. He works a lot behind the kicks, so if you take away the kicks or they basically become nullified, um, he doesn't. His offense becomes a lot less than what it normally is. I think there's some truth to that. Um, so we'll see. I you know you usually want to do a rematch when there's some level of controversy about it. Maybe the judges got it wrong, right? In the first Bradley versus Pacquiao fight, or, um, you know, it was really close and both guys took a beating and something like that. And I see what you're saying in this one, it doesn't feel exactly that way. What it feels like is that the scoring system didn't give us a chance to really rightfully anoint the winner. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Um, you know, the one guy was better than the other guy, but the scores don't necessarily reflect that. Maybe, or maybe you feel like, you know, it is pretty close. Maybe, maybe you are like leaning towards, you know, Wonder Boy being able to do more the second time around. I would not be uh, uh, in any way opposed to a rematch. I, I don't think this is a clear cut case of like, oh my God, we have to do this again because um, they were re- re- really competitive with each other. They were very competitive with each other, but that fourth round is sort of sticks out in your mind It's like one guy, you know, clearly got the better of the other one for a prolonged period and that never was reversed um but i wouldn't i wouldn't be opposed to a rematch i feel like there's it it could it could do some good i had to get a new phone you guys know i just got the google pixel and within a week uh within a week the the um the microphone died on it, so I had to get a new one, and now it works again, And but I have to readjust all my settings. So that's a lot of fun. All right, let's keep going here. All right. What to do with a featherweight title? It has been close to a year since the featherweight belt has been defended, and it is uncertain what Connor does next. For how long can you keep the featherweight belt on the shelf before you have to strip Connor? I mean, I think this is pretty simple. You can say, "All right, Connor, you want to come back when you want to come back," and they can figure that out about his equity stake or, or whether they're going to do that, whether they're not. I don't know. Which is another can of worms. Um, I kind of feel like it needs to be his next fight. If you want to have two belts, that means you have double the responsibility. You know, you just can't have it both ways, man. I, you know, we're just going to throw away these divisions and never let guys. <laughs> Uh, who are in- entirely deserving of shots ever get them. I mean, this is the magic of being a two-weight champion. Defend it, bro. Defend it, you know? Let's see what you got. Like, I feel like getting up to this level is an extraordinary achievement. Any- anyone out there who's like, ah, Eddie wasn't that good. I'm like, sure about that? Eddie's actually really good. And uh, flawed, like any other fighter, of course. Um, but Connor is amazing. Connor is a next-level talent he's a next level talent so now that we have established that now that he has got these two belts put them on the line time to put them on the line or you know if you're going to have a lightweight title fight first and say you're going to defend the feather one next Wh- whatever it is like but you got to put this in mind this is how it's going to go connor's going to defend this title this time and presuming no injury this time this time and if he's injured and let's t- god forbid knock on wood. Tears his ACL or something, and he's out. You know he has to lose that featherweight belt. Why the featherweight one? Because it's the one that hasn't been defended for a year while he's been healthy. This is just how it has to be. Um, I fundamentally believe preserving that these institutions, as it were, uh, have value, and they may seem antiquated right now, but they won't. When he's gone, they will seem relevant again. Um, and if they give him a, if they give him a title fight against Tyron Woodley, okay, take away the featherweight belt you just it has to go if you're not going to fight in there it just has to go um so that's what i would do but if he wants to defend it then let's give him the chance you know people say he's never going to go back to featherweight okay that's fine he doesn't by the means he does not know how to go go, he does not have to go back to featherweight at all not once absolutely his call but if he's not going to When will DC's legacy be considered greater than John Jones in the cage legacy? Man, that's a good question. I don't know if it ever will if he doesn't fight John. That may be impossible. By the way, you guys will be proud of me. I drank almost no soda last week. Some, yes. But uh, I've substituted these for the afternoon. Uh, in the afternoon, I should say, uh, for tea. I've been drinking tea now. Fat lot of good at me this week, but. Then I was going to have some tea for this chat, but I didn't have a chance to boil it. Um, someone says, granted, D.C. lost to Jones, and Jones is virtually undefeated. But over the course of his career, it's safe to say D.C. fought better competition. Um, he is undefeated at heavyweight and beat the likes of Frank Mir, Josh Barnett, and TRT Bigfoot. He also has wins over Hendo, Gus, Anderson Silva. And if he defends his belt next month, we'll have two wins over Rumble. Seems like with every new win, D.C. is coming that much closer to surpassing Jones's legacy if he hasn't already set me straight. Luke. Um, I mean, the problem is he lost to John. That is such a. And he lost to John convincingly. I mean, it was close, but uh, it was clear also who the winner was. Right, There was not a lot of dispute about that. And I think as long as that is standing, it's just going to be tough for him, especially as he gets older. You know of course they're both getting older but i mean like really getting older towards that how old is corn like 37 or more 37 yeah and he'll be 38 in march right so um he's a, he's a he is uh he's a legit champ and championship material of course but um I don't know what he's gonna to do to overcome that loss to John Jones. It would he would he would if he was like 28 or 27 and he had another several years to amass a resume, I think we'd have a different conversation. But considering his time in the sport is limited, I don't know that there's a whole lot he can do. With Wideman's two-fight skid and increasingly tough weight cut to 185. Do you think it'd be more optimal for him to move to 205? He's a big 185er so the cut is brutal and the 205 division is lacking in talent so upon his entrance into the division, he'd immediately be a top 5 to 7 ranked light heavyweight. Um It's a good question. I I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think whatever he does next, it needs to be an easy fight. And by easy, I mean someone outside the top 10, right? You need to get back on your horse. And that's what I thought a Misha Tate fight was against Raquel Pennington. But uh, Raquel's gotten better and Misha just appears to be absolutely, uh, you know, uh, mentally not in a space to be competing at all. But the thing about you all Romero is I see some people nitpicking, you know, with some of the things he's been doing, you know, kicking when he wasn't supposed to and getting taken down and, to what extent has that been a function of training with Wonderboy Thompson or overestimating his skill set? Maybe. Uh, I don't know that to be the case, but that's not a terrible um, point. But um, for me, it's like Yoel Romero. I mean, Chris was doing okay in that fight. You know, He didn't get all the takedowns he wanted, but he was making Yoel Romero work, which I think was wise. Um, he had mostly stayed out of danger. Um, I thought things were going his way for the most part, um, you could you could have had it, you know, uh, it was competitive at a minimum, right. Heading into that in, in that third round. And, um, the interesting part about Yoel Romero, it's hard to game plan for, for him because he can physically act on a, and make and do something in the blink of an eye that he hasn't been doing. Um, he just he can he can absolutely leap into a position. He can get out of the way. He can counter. He can just do something where there's just no way to prepare for it. Now, certainly, Weidman shot from too far away without setting it up. Romero read it and made him pay for it. And that is not necessarily all that uncommon in mixed martial arts generally. We have seen similar things like that happen to a whole range of fighters. But the the devastating way in which he's able to do it, these are things you typically see in lighter weight divisions, not the heavier ones, right? what makes it unique um he moves when he needs to not all the time but when he needs to he moves like a bantamweight and that's just super hard to prepare for man I thought Wyman had a good game plan for the most part I thought trying to take away his cardio with kicks to the body and jabs to the body and trying to back him up and make him wrestle even if he didn't get a takedown just make him wrestle I thought all those things were pretty smart. I, I didn't think that was a bad game plan. It just—it didn't matter in the end. Like that's a, this is my point. Like Eddie Alvarez was like, "Oh, I didn't follow the game plan," and I'm not saying that if he had, he would have won. In fact, you can look at the case like Weidman, who did follow the game plan, and he made one tiny error where he shot in from too far away with no setup, and Romero, aka uh, Hercules demolished him for it what, absolutely demolished him for it and it, all it takes is that man when he when it's crazy romero doesn't apply a lot of offense but when he does it's tnt it's tnt it's crazy so if i'm weidman and i didn't think he physically looked i'm not saying he looked out of shape but he didn't and he doesn't he never looks crazy muscular But I didn't think he looked as muscular as he traditionally had. I'm not sure why that is. So if I'm him, I'm thinking about light heavyweight just to see how it goes. Or I'm definitely thinking about rebuilding at middleweight. These guys don't ever want to do that. They want to be like, I want to get right back in there and get the toughest challenge. We saw it last weekend with RDA and Ferguson two weekends ago. It's a bad idea. Take time. Build. Rebuild. Work on something as you have time to beat opponents you know you can beat. Work on other skill sets. That's what that gives you time to do. The benefit of going back in the queue is that as you rebuild through it, you develop something new by the time you reach the top of it. That's what you want to be able to say you did. And when you just try to jump right back at the top, you don't ever give yourself a chance to, to rebuild or, or add a new wrinkle. And in fact, if you're RDA, you took a step back uh, in many ways, you know. Yeah, good question. Misha Tate legacy. Luke, in the wake of Misha Tate's retirement, how are you remember her? Also, do you think she'd be better as a UFC on Fox analyst or a coach? I don't know. I don't know how much she wants to be around the sport, for that matter, much less on TV about it. She was good on TV. Um, it'd be nice to have a different voice on there. Um, she was pretty good, right? So there's that. Um, Her legacy. Well, she's a bit of a pioneer. She was one of the early faces who achieved championship status. Um, she was only the third ever UFC women's bantamweight champion. She one of the most important figures in the development of the women's division and women's divisions in the UFC. Whether or not you want to call her Hall of Famer depends, I think, on your perspective, but I, I suspect she'll probably get entered um, either in the pioneer wing or something else. And, um, Although, you know, the women who came before her. I'm not saying she was, you know, the first or something. She's not like a Dan Severn, or Horace Gracie, but you get the idea. Um, and I think if we're trying to remember what, like, she was good at, she was one of the first women who was, like, really good at wrestling and applying wrestling and mixed martial arts. She was tenacious. She was tough. Um, she tried. She made a concerted effort to market herself. Um, you know she obviously understood whether or not you are in favor of this fact that how you look in the sport physically this is true for both genders but especially true for women how you look in the sport can determine a lot for what kind of opportunities you might be given both inside and outside of the cage i think she understood that and used it to her benefit which i don't in any way blame her for um and she had a series of classic rivalries you know uh the biggest one of course being with ronda rousey but uh nevertheless um, even when she lost, like in the case of Cat Zingano, she put forward incredible fights. Um, her comeback win against Holly Holm to win the championship was absolutely remarkable. Um, my favorite fight that of hers that I tweeted out was probably, you know, she got smashed by Caitlin Young. People forget that at hook and shoot. She got head kicked right in the face and she just kept getting better, man. She just stayed like... It's amazing that she broke when she did because, or whatever you want to call this current episode in her in her life, because what her hallmark was was never breaking. It was never breaking. That's what made her pretty special. She had this incredible ability to just not to not wither. And maybe all of that, maybe all of her efforts to withstand the external pressures of the world finally came crashing down on her. Uh, I don't know, but it feels like that, right? Um, but that's how I'll remember her. Those are the things I look at when I think about her. And, you know, we're just talking about technically what she added in the cage. I do think this, like, submission savvy with wrestling. You know, man, you watch that 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 Julie Kedzie fight, and, and she threatens on top. She had a crazy guard. People were saying to me, like, she didn't look like herself in their last fight, and that's not true. She did look like herself, just a lesser version of it. And I contrast that with like BJ Penn, BJ Penn fighting on the balls of his feet. You just, you didn't even know what you were looking at. You're like, BJ, what are you like? Who are you? You know, that's not the case with Misha Tate. Misha feels like it's a lesser version of herself. And, um, and I think as long as that's the case where she's not able to bring her best to bear, she's only 30, um, you know. I tweeted this out on Saturday night. If, if a retirement feels early, then maybe it's right on time. You know, maybe that's the case with her hard to say exactly, but that's how I'll remember her as a pioneer, as somewhat of an innovator, uh, and someone who exemplified many of the things you had at the, up to that time associated with sort of tougher males, this like incredible ability to withstand, um, punishment or, um, just sort of bad circumstances. Generally a real perseverance. And, um, someone who made a great foil for ronda rousey to be honest their rivalry helped helped women's mma it helped that season of the ultimate fighter it helped their careers individually like she was a big part of that so yeah honor demanding equity in the ufc surely you can't give an active fighter equity right though i think many people have dreamt of giving excuse me many people have dreamt of fighting their boss in the ring or octagon the fighter-owner mix-up raises a lot of issues. What do you think? So people are like, wouldn't there be a conflict of interest? I mean, it would depend. I, I could I could see a circumstance where they give him a share, and it's a non-controlling share. Like, you don't have the ability to vote on anything or fire anyone or hire anyone, um, but you could have a, te- you know... Come here, buddy. Barbus is here. Let's see like, what's up, man. Yeah. Um, you could have a non-controlling share. You could have a share of the company where, um, you have an ownership stake, but you don't really have a stake of, uh, executive leadership or any anything managerial or anything in those k- kinds of roles. You merely are, um, you just sort of collect dividends essentially from, from that ownership stake based on earnings. I could see that kind of scenario. I don't know what they plan to do if they plan to give them that at all, but it's not necessarily a conflict of interest. Um, now it necessarily raises the question, though, if Connor is going to be having an ownership stake, he's going to be wanting even more, perhaps, to fight money fights rather than appropriate fights. I think that gives me a measure of concern, right? If he knows the UFC makes more money when he makes more money, and then when the UFC makes more money, then ultimately it's this sort of this, this this you know reciprocal process. Essentially, um, he might very well try to decide that you know an eight fight makes more sense than a Habib fight. I would very much be against something like that. I really feel like we cannot lose everything about this this plumbing um, that is the ranking system merely for short-term gain about things. I understand why, why it would happen if we didn't, but I just feel like abandoning it right now is not a good idea. Challenging Yen Jacek for the title. Before anything else, is it kind of weird to realize that with this victory, Joanna has a longer win streak total and within the UFC than Rousey did when she lost to Holm? Sort of. Would it be fair to argue that the strawweight championship matches could be the most dangerous championship matches for the challenger at the moment? Not because Joanna can't be defeated, but because the sheer amount of physical damage and mental trauma she seems to inflict during those title defenses. Well, not in the last one especially since her most recent past contenders seemed like shells of themselves when they made their returns. She, um, yeah, those five round fights, uh, you know, um, they take a lot out of their opposition, or at least they have. We'll see what happens to Valerie Letourneau. If she can regroup, maybe she had an uncharacteristically good performance. I think there might be that as well. Like how much of this is just these women having like, you know, fighting up to the moment and then looking then when, as they fall back to the normal, it looks like they've, you know, degraded in some ways. Now I do agree. Carla Esparza hasn't been the same, but we'll see if she can regroup and, and get things together. Same with Jessica Penny. They got brutalized, but those are the two finishes. I, I'm not of the belief that Kovalkevich is going to wear this damage particularly well, uh, uh poorly uh in a kind of long-term sense. I think she'll be right back in the middle of things. I don't know when or against who, but, uh and she's, you know, especially tough. Okay. Fair enough, but I'm not overly concerned about it, but yeah, you know, you don't want to be in a five round war where you got, outclassed and beat up, even if you somehow managed to last. Kovalev versus Ward this Saturday. But, you know, go back and look what happened. Like, Alexis Davis, I'm not saying she hasn't been the same since, but um, you know, I don't think she, even though she wasn't thought of as necessarily the best contender, she's virtually invisible. Cad Zangano hasn't been the same. Misha Tate retired. She won the belt, but, you know, four months later, retired. Holly Holm hasn't looked all that great. Um, There's something to be said for like strong performances and championship moments, but being consistent against those top contenders. I keep saying time over time, it's hard to do, man. It's just hard to do. You know, these the, the contenders that come up, man, they are, you know, that's the opportunity of a lifetime for them. And it's just another fight for you. And if you're really, really good, then that's not a big deal. But if you're not, super sharp every time, you know, it's, they're going to make you pay for it. Kovalev versus Ward this Saturday. Who are you taking? Kovalev might be wrong, but we'll see. Someone says, uh, oh, did you see the Telegraph article? This was the headline of this Telegraph article. Ready for this? I love this. Do not be fooled by Conor McGregor. UFC is the sadistic Donald Trump equivalent of elite sport. What the F does that even mean? You idiot. Written by Jonathan Liu. Jonathan Liu has been triggered. Give me a break, dude. Let's see what else this guy's written. Let me look at his bylines. Meet Sarah Hunter, the best women's rugby player in the world. England 18, Australia 36. Wade Bennett's side limp out four nations as Aussies march into final. That's fairly standard. Sam Merson. If people ask me about dad, I always tell them the truth. It's just He's just a rugby reporter, basically. And I like rugby. I'm not going to crap on it, but yeah, I mean it's a, it's a chuckle fest this nonsense could an argument be made that connor took more damage in 13 seconds with aldo than in 8 minutes with alvarez the laceration above the eye yeah maybe maybe do you think the way in which connor won against alvarez will change the fights fans want to see for example whilst i would still tune in i'm now less excited by a frankie connor fight than i was prior to ufc 205 i kind of feel like i've seen how that fight might go if that makes sense we'll put it in the way i'm less intrigued by the matchup but you gotta remember when he goes to 145 he's drained so at 145 you see the sort of like maximum level at 145 it's a little bit less than that i still would like to see that i know you're thinking oh that's not possible this is a sport where it is very, very foolish to dismiss ideas as um, you might call it improbable, but to call them impossible or ah, not worth taking seriously, you have to be very, very careful about that, man. You have to be very careful about that. And then you might favor Conor in that fight. Frankly, I would favor Conor in that fight, too, at this point. But I'm telling you, you never know. I like the new post fight podcast and know you were looking for a name for it. Can I suggest Luke's dog and pony show? You may suggest it. I will decline that name. Finally, we should all wish Eddie the best in Siberia, keeping Aldo company. Well, that's a nice thing to say. Uh, Seeming push for McGregor Diaz three. It felt like coming out of there. The big push was for McGregor Habib, even boss logic. Now he made another poster for Diaz too, but he made that nice poster for, um, habib versus mcgregor that would be that's that's my pick if they have to do one next and then they're going to guarantee a featherweight title shot after that but you know i don't know what they're going to do that would be the next fight at lightweight i would want to see i'll put it that way what do you think the reaction within featherweight and lightweight divisions will be if mcgregor's next opponent is diaz uh anger and i who could blame them Nate Diaz says UFC wouldn't give him tickets to MSG card and jokingly said they gave Nick Jonas his seat. Thoughts? I mean, turns out he was there. He got in by hook or by crook, right? So, Luke, are you ever going to have a kid? I hope. Or is this podcast your baby and we are your misfit children? Uh, Whatever you would like to be. Luke, what time do you defecate in the morning? This is a real question. After my morning coffee, if you must know, Uh, UFC Fight Night 99, Hall Musasi 2 versus UFC Fight Night 100, Bader Little Nog 2, and Bellator 165, Bendo Chandler. Look, which of these three events is most worthy of a watch this weekend, in your opinion? I'm actually most looking forward to Bellator 165. Now, I normally don't say that. It's because Hall Musasi 2 is awesome. Bader Little Nog 2, I'm not all that in favor of, although that card also has, for example, Gadelia versus Courtney Casey. But it's a lot of filler on both of those cards. And of course there's a lot of filler on the Bellator card, but this card has MVP Bendo Chandler and it's got Adam Piccolotti, who was supposed to fight Jordan Parsons back in the day. Um, a guy out of AKA black belt young guy. I think he's super talented and this is a nice fight for him. So there's actually a lot on that Bendo Chandler card. I kind of want to see, and I don't know, man, I got Benson Henderson on my radio show today. It's a tough fight for him, man. It's a very, very tough fight for him. Um, You know, not everyone can go from lightweight to welterweight. Some guys can, but um, (laughs) Koreskov losing the way that he did against Lima and then the way he fought against Pitbull. I think there's some questions about, you know, where Benson Henderson is at. And Michael Chandler is probably going to help us figure that out for sure. But let me go real quickly UFC fight night. There are some good fights on all of these cards. As a matter of fact, I think it's on this card. Yeah, two good fights on, on the prelim card. Three, I guess. For UFC Fight 999, McCall versus Siri is great. Yeah, Horaguchi versus Bega is great. And then the other one, actually, there's another one. And I'm looking forward to Kevin Lee versus Mega Man Mustafaev. That's a tough fight for Kevin Lee. And Justin Ledet is back against uh, Mark Godbeer. Looking forward to that. Plus, on the Nogera card... Pedro Munoz versus Justin Scoggins, Varley Alves versus Kamaru Usman. Those are also good fights. So lots of lots of good action. But that Bellator card is actually surprisingly good. On first impression, most people think Yoel Romero starches Bisping. But I've seen a lot of MMA analysts say otherwise. Bisping doesn't really engage in grappling and wrestling exchanges. His cardio is as top-notch as ever and he strikes in volume from the outside. The only issue for Bisping is his compromised chin. What do you think of the matchup? I agree with most MMA analysts then, hang on. Bisping is gonna win that fight like he won the Dan Henderson fight, which is to say he's gonna win the majority of the time, and then he's gonna have to overcome something bad happening to him the rest of the time in smaller intervals. Because Romero, as I mentioned before, can move like a bantamweight when he wants to. He can throw you around. He can strike you. He can cover distance. He has extraordinary power. Um, he's a specimen. He's an absolute specimen. And um, But he's just not as technically, he's not as exhaustively talented and as disciplined a fighter as Uh, Michael Bisping. So Bisping is going to do exactly what you said. He's not going to get tired. That jab is going to be right in his face. That cross is going to land. He's going to get out of the way a lot. And he just has to watch out and be able to recover in the event that um, He-Man decides to attack the, uh, uh, you know, Skeletor (laughs) with the power I have the power you know, of, of Gray Skull or whatever, and uh, and that's about it. I mean, there's the, there's no way to predict the way he's going to move. You know, you look at the Machida fight; it's sort of a similar thing. Uh, he's devastating with knee attacks. Okay, we can say that generally, but um, he just he can he can launch himself in these unpredictable ways at unpredictable times that there's just no way to anticipate. So, like, if you feel like that would get the best of Bisping. I think that's a fair thing to think but i also think it's a fair thing to think that bisping could manage himself he's been in situations against guys like that before and if it moves to the fourth round and romero is tired he's a much more manageable you know task um i that's a very winnable fight for michael bisping i'm not saying he deserves to be favored or not i haven't really thought about that but it's a very winnable fight for him Habib's post-fight promo. Luke, what was your reaction to Habib's post-fight promo after his win for Michael Johnson this past weekend? Well, when he mentioned Ireland has $6 million, Russia has $100 million. He actually said that on my radio show, so that he had recycled that line, so it didn't have quite the same effect for uh, me as it did for everyone else. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, if fighters want – I said this on MMA, maybe if fighters want to do that, then go do it. Go get, Go get what you're asking for, you know? Um, make that happen, take those steps, but if they don't want to do it and they don't care about it, I don't want to put pressure on them now. They don't do it. And they come back later and they say, well, where's my title shot? Okay. Well, dude, you had your chance. You, you botched this, but in the case of Habib, he says it explicitly, the rankings are, as he calls them, number one, bull S that he is at the top, that he deserves this title, that he wants a title shot, that he is powerful in Russia, the UFC is going to go to Russia. He's being very, very clear about it. Okay, great. Good job. Hope it works out for you. You know, the only thing I object to is that, you know, in the case of Art, I mentioned this before, like we're asking these, like think about how much we ask fighters to do. You know, we need you to be really, really, we need you to be like the very best at this activity in the world. We need your cardio to be world-class and your ground game to be world-class and your striking to be world-class. We need you to be world-class mixed martial arts fighters and to not be injured and then to go do media and then to travel and to cut weight and to engage fans on social media and all these other things and then on top of that we need you to be semi carnival barkers it's like this outrageous demand like the balls on us on all of us for media fans everyone the balls the gall to demand that from fighters i feel like it's just way too much if they want to do it then we don't we shouldn't get in their way I just feel like if they turn in high-level performances, we are not in a position to demand anything. <laughs> you know. And I get the way that the market forces work, that is, if you engage in that territory and you're good at it, it pays dividends. Okay, I'm not fighting against it, but that's the other thing. By the way, one more comment about Romero, and I know this might upset people, but this is a thing I've been making. Now, I want to I make a point about him. If you go back to his USADA case, they eventually settled, and I think USADA settled because they realized they didn't have much of a case. Now, he did... He did violate the strict liability clauses, namely that you are responsible for whatever goes in your body at all times. However, it was while we have no official findings, the fact that they settled means they realized and the fact that they did their own independent sample collection and independent testing of the substances they tested positive for the, the supplement uh, indicates that he had an argument that he did not know this was contaminated. The stuff that he was using was then added to the prohibited, not prohibited list from WADA, but sort of like the, I think they call it like the 911 list or something, but this list of supplements you should avoid if you're um, under uh, USADA testing. So all's well that ends well. He's only suspended six months, no big deal. This is a guy who's been under Olympic testing for about 20 years or so. Okay. Now we all know Olympic testing is hardly foolproof there is no testing that is foolproof in fact as we've discussed previously you have to basically decide that a person has no right to privacy in any capacity whatsoever to actually do fully functional testing so is there room for skepticism about the fact that he could be using something uh of course you are allowed to hold that but i'm going to say this guy's been tested under a system however it's flaws that are significantly better than what we've had up to this point in ufc and apparently people think he's still using under everyone's nose his physique has not changed at all over the years. He has been bricked up forever, and he continues to be bricked up. To me, the much simpler explanation is, could he be using? I suppose. The simpler explanation is that he is absolutely a genetic marvel. He's a genetic marvel, okay? The guys who cover wrestling professionally. Now, I don't mean professional wrestling. I mean amateur wrestling, the guys like flow wrestling, whatever. I'm not saying those guys in particular, but guys who've worked in that field, have told me before he was ever doing MMA that that guy was maybe the best athlete in all of wrestling. In the world of wrestling, which is global and has an extraordinary participatory rate. And that guy's their best athlete, maybe, arguably, one of them. The, the knock on him, apparently, was that he had a fairly low wrestling IQ. That he didn't always make good choices, but he was such a physical beast that it was impossible to get anything. This is my one of my points I've been trying to make for a while. Like, it is clear that performance-enhancing drugs provide benefit, but it is also clear that if you are born winning the genetic lottery, it confers an amazing benefit. There aren't enough steroids Chris Weidman could take to equal the athleticism of Joel Romero has naturally. Naturally. And everyone wants to t- make this argument about sports should be fair. There's nothing fair about them. This is a game or a sport or an activity that is suited for the genetic lottery winners. And even among them, the higher winner ones tend to just do better. There's nothing fair about it. Oh, well, he was born that way. You mean he was born with an insane amount of advantages? Most of the time, we are used to seeing guys born with, you know, relative advantages. And then we see a guy born with athletic advantages that you can barely wrap your head around, that you can't even believe are real. And there's not many all Romero's, but nevertheless, and everyone wants to like lecture me about what's fair. <laughs> You're letting a guy in who is nothing like the rest of us, nothing like the rest of these UFC athletes. But you know, let's, let's we got to make sure it's fair. Okay, you make you knock yourself out. Wonder Boy Woodley rematch. In your post fight video, you suggested that you felt Wonder Boy had more areas he could adapt and improve for the rematch. I happen to feel the opposite. As a Wonder Boy fan, I'd be here. I'd be eager to hear you elaborate. Uh, well, I, I mentioned before, now that I've rethought it, I mean, there's th- definitely things that wonder boy can do differently, but I wonder now what, if, if Woodley decides to mix up the takedowns, that that would be, um, a, a substantial difference. That would be hard for wonder boy to, to counter. Oh, of course. Now, unless he stuffs them, of course, uh, McGregor, Habib and the mental game. Someone says they watched the Monday Morning Analyst. Thank you for doing that. Something I was curious about, though, is that I've thought that one of Conor's greatest strengths in fights, outside of his great skill, of course, is the seeming ability to make the opponent fight in a way suitable for Conor. Very true. With that in mind, would one of Habib's strengths against Conor be that, like Nate Diaz, Habib seems to know exactly what kind of fighter he is and commit to that approach. I will say that one of the things that benefits Habib going into any potential McGregor fight is his simplicity. Right, the I keep saying to all these guys, how many times did we discuss it on this chat? Eddie Alvarez on my show, I asked him, how much of a twenty-minute fight, twenty-five-minute fight, can you wrestle? He said about fifteen minutes. Okay, how long is Conor McGregor good for before he gases? Eight or nine? Do do the math. And he he had those shots from the outside in open space were terrible. I don't consider that a great demonstration necessarily of McGregor having great takedown defense. I will say. Gregor has good takedown defense against the cage. He was he was top notch there, so we'll give him credit for that. I thought that was excellent. But you know, open shots that with no setup from far away, he should stuff those. That doesn't tell. I mean, it doesn't mean he has bad takedown defense, but that doesn't tell me he has good takedown defense. What tells me he has good takedown defense, take defense when he was against that cage and Eddie had an underhook. You give Habib an underhook there, it's curtains for you. I don't care who you are, it is curtains for you there. But uh, Eddie, even with that, is still a pretty good fence wrestler. And he could get nothing going like it wasn't even close so to me that was an indication he had a great to take on the fence but the mental game you know eddie looked to me fine all week i didn't feel uh, like that was ever an issue i feel like one thing these guys can't figure out is that they're going to get a mcgregor who's going to look like this right who's just not going to say anything or he might say you know he might taunt you but he's not all these guys are used to other guys who are frenetic about it, who are you know, trying to stay calm. He doesn't have to try to stay calm. He is calm. Calm as a bomb, man. Calm as a bomb. He is in the moment there completely, so focused. And these other guys are not used to doing all the press. They're not used to these dramatic weigh-ins. They're not used to these entirely huge crowds and these lights. You know, a guy like Eddie Alvarez has 13 years. He never had 13 years like that. You know, there was, no, there was no part of it that was ever like that. And I feel like that moment kind of got to him. Plus, these guys have pride. You know, they keep underestimating Conor McGregor. They're like, oh, he boxed me up. Now I got to go box with him. No, don't do that. Just admit at boxing range, you're you're hopeless here because that's how good he is. When he's got his dukes up here, you are not going to match him at lightweight or featherweight. It's not going to happen for you here. So somebody like Habib who knows this, Mostly that simplicity, that Demi and Maya simplicity, like I'm just going to jab till we get in range and then I'm going to stick to you like glue. That I believe absolutely does aid him. The problem is of course, distance closing itself is a skill. Getting in tight with somebody is a skill. Figuring out how to negotiate that space is a skill. You saw Eddie coming in with crosses and then McGregor slipping, sliding, stepping out of the way. And then coming right back into the space and crushing him. Not only is he tall and lanky, I think a 74 inch reach or so, he uses all 74 inches of it. He makes perfect use of it, right? Guys just aren't used to that. You're not going to win there. Connor McGregor's overrated. Yeah. I mean, he's got some holes in his game, like everyone else does. He is so not overrated, gentlemen. He is so not overrated. You have to admit it's not going to go well for you. Now, if you want to strike with him later when he gets tired, okay you want to strike with him later when he's hurt? Sure. But you need to put in that work. <laughs> I cannot believe we talked about it on this podcast. And I told you, I was like, I don't know what Eddie's going to do, man. And sure enough, he doesn't do it. I mean, they got to be on him. Look what Randy Couture did on James Toney. Now, James Tony, of course, is not going to have the MMA footwork that Conor's going to have. But, uh, you know, he was on a John Smith low single, right? You're cupping the back of the ankle. And with your shoulder and your head, you're driving them out at an angle. That's what a John Smith low single is. Cup in the heel, everything is here, and you're driving them over. Okay? That's that's how low he was on him. He wanted nothing to do with him. That's what you have to have with Connor. Now, you had to be able to get in on Connor, but once you're in on him, that fear of him, you need to be not like so afraid you don't fight him, but you need to be afraid of that left afraid truly realizing that like it's a game of tag and once you're it you're out all right let's go to the twitter machine now that we have uh some questions here is there anything worse than skip bailiff's talking mma yes you guys retweeting it and putting it in my feed i don't care what he has to say about mma i don't care what he has to say about himself well for the most part i don't care what he has to say about really about anything i don't Relevant. What are the chances that Connor decides to leave UFC and start his own promotion, which he can then headline? Uh, extremely unlikely, but possible. True or false? I agree that the three release tracks from the upcoming metallic album make it a must-buy. Nope, that first song was good. The last two were Ghostbusters and Jason Bourne. Why is pay-per-view fifteen dollars in Europe? Why are they charging North Americans more? Well, because this is a North American. I mean, we, we, we have grown accustomed to pay-per-view as a natural condition. I don't think that it works that way. I think they'd be pricing themselves out if they did it over there, but I'm not sure exactly. Top five punk or hardcore albums? That's a better question for um, Casey, our videographer. What do you think are the effects of a possible union with Trump as president and his relationship to Dana, I don't think it'll make much of a difference. He's got he's got bigger fish to fry. Who would you favor in a Gunnar Nelson versus Donald Cerrone fight? Probably Cerrone. Any chance we see Frankie Edgar fight Dominic Cruz at bantamweight? He told me uh, if he couldn't get a shot at Aldo that that would interest him. Who does Hector Lombard fight next? Good question. Maybe Hall if he loses to Musasi. It's a good idea. I'd go with that. Who wins? Maya versus GSP. Man, maybe Maya. I don't know. Diaz versus Bisping. Bisping. Jones versus Weidman. Jones. Rumble versus Rockhold. Maybe Rockhold. I don't know. Rumble. That's That's a tough one. I don't know. Maybe Rumble. Romero versus DC. I'd say DC. Dillashaw versus Edgar. Whew, that's a tough one, too. Um, maybe Dillashaw, but I don't know. Connor repeatedly hit Alvarez with his left. I don't want to see Connor versus Aldo, too. Does Aldo pose any different threats? I think Al- Aldo ultimately doesn't have a style that's going to allow him to defeat Connor, but that's not always the point of why you make a fight. If we just assume that what we think is going to happen is going to happen, we are missing the A, we'll be wrong half the time, literally half the time, and B, a lot of guys who are deserving of an opportunity won't get them. It's not about what we think is going to happen necessarily. Now, of course, when you get to dramatic extremes, that matters. But if the guy's the interim champ, these are fights that need to be made. Three Musketeers or Snickers? Snickers. Snickers. Dylan Dennis makes his MMA debut in, in the UFC in 2017. False. Um, if Habib is next for Connor, would UFC match up Alvarez versus Ferguson next? I hope Alvarez takes a tune-up fight. If so, who's your pick? If they did Alvarez versus Ferguson. and If they did that, I would pick Ferguson. Do you think the UFC didn't book McGregor versus wrestlers until he was ready to adequately defend takedowns? Yes, of course. That's the way I said that before the Dennis Seaver fight. Everyone's like, oh, man, he's not fighting wrestlers. Not right now, but you can see incrementally he's getting better. And by the time he has that title, which eventually he's going to get, probably or at least to be in that atmosphere, he's not going to have a choice. Everyone at that point is basically going to be a wrestler, right? Um, and you're seeing the fruits of that labor now. It worked. Special people get special treatment, right? Um, Who is going to break the news to Habib and Tony that they are going to fight each other in the first quarter next year? They might, man. They might. And that'd be a sick fight, but it's just these contenders picking each other off. Why do people disregard fighters who don't call out other fighters after a win is an authenticity key. I mean, they just want to see them. people Look, they want to see these fighters get what they believe they deserve. Nothing wrong with that. I just feel like we put an insane amount of pressure on them and I don't want to do that anymore. Is it possible that Conor could return to featherweight and not fight Aldo, who's interim champ? Seems absurd. Man, at this point, anything's possible. Do you see it as disrespectful for people to call Conor the greatest of all time of MMA? Disrespectful? No. A little bit delusional? Maybe. Who would be a bigger loss to the UFC, Joe Rogan or Dana White? Dana White. You recently called deadlift the king of the lifts, not squats. Why is this? Because the deadlift engages many more muscle groups than squats. Luke, will it be easy to get a t-shirt in Ireland? I don't know, but I'll do my best. What do you think about Kavanaugh saying Diaz is the second best lightweight in the world? I think Diaz has the capability of fighting that, uh, you know, he's one of these guys where he, this is what I mean with Diaz. Diaz is not the kind of guy who can just absorb a steady stream of contenders and win. But if he jumps around, he could look really good because he's really, really talented and he has, you know, if it's the right style matchup, he can win. Um, But no, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, it's either Herbie or Tony. And then I probably put Alvarez in front of him and maybe some other guys as well too, you know, Uh, let's see. What's up with Machida? Hold on, let me see that. What's what the actual results of that? Are eighteen months unbelievable? Now, did he actually test positive or something? Let's see. We got to fix that. 7-Keto-DHEA is not a steroid. That's crazy. Substance 7-Keto-DHEA increases metabolism, weight loss, and has anti-aging effects. Yeah, all of those are disputed. I got a test of Machida sample and it came back with an elevated seven um, hydroxy to DHEA to DHEA ratio. It's a molecule, but it's not a steroid. I'll talk to Mark about that because that ain't true. All right. Uh, okay. McGregor will earn more, or earn a hundred million or more for one fight in the next twelve months. Probably false. True or false? John Jones will never hold UFC gold again. I will also say false. I think Bisping can take the fight into deep waters like the fifth. He can beat Romero. True. Look, do you see all the changes in the UFC? Do you see Dana still being with the UFC by the end of 2017? I do, but after that, I don't know. Seeing as MJ rocked Habib, he didn't really rock him. Would Habib have trouble closing the distance against McGregor? Absolutely. No doubt about it. How's the cold? How are you feeling today? Um, Better, but not great. Luke, is Romero's blend of speed, power, and explosive athleticism the blueprint to perfect MMA grappling? No. Uh, What would we... What? What would have we seen if BJ would have worked as hard as Connor does? Man. It would have been something... I mean, he was already something special, but even better than that. True or false, Nurmagomedov fights Ferguson before he fights Connor. I will say true. I will say true. Do you think Ferguson is a worse matchup for Connor than Habib and why? I don't. I actually think Habib is a worse matchup. Doesn't mean I'm right, uh, but that's just sort of my hunch. Do you think McGregor is sort of an aggressive counter-striker, not just aggressive or a counter-striker? Not sure exactly what you mean, but yeah, like uh, Dave Camarillo talked about this on his podcast. He stays in the pocket, and you know, he, he grew up in an era when they were coaching fighters to be first, be first, be first, be first, be first. Um, and that's not true, at least it doesn't have to be true that you can be second, provided you can do the things that McGregor can do, you can land a left. Uh, in, in just the, in the short distances with the efficient motion and brilliant vision, right? And that's sort of this nature where these guys are all thinking, I got to be first. And McGregor's like, okay, go be first. I'll be second, but I'll be the first to land, or I'll be the better one to land in a substantial way. And he's sort of rethinking how striking works in that regard a little bit. Now, other guys have done that too. I mean, counter strikers generally have done that, but just the nature of like, it's amazing. Like, he's a counter striker who really relies basically on his left hand, and that's who he is. And nevertheless, these guys keep being like, I'll box with them. Okay, you box with them. Do a short review of Suicide Squad. That movie blows. Oh my God, that movie was unbearable. I don't know if I have like a great review of it, except to say, um, like, this is true. I literally got diarrhea in the, <laughs> in the middle of the movie. And I was like, this is so fitting. This is so, this is somehow, this experience makes sense. I was watching it on my couch and I was like, whoop. My stomach hurts. What's that? Oh, I know. This is my body's reaction. It was like it was like you know, remember when Chipotle was getting everyone sick with like the rhino virus and their guacamole? Like that's that's what uh that's what Suicide Squad is. Uh, okay. Not to sound disrespectful, but now that he's 0 two in the cage, do you think Wybin has been a bit overhyped? And how you hyped him? He was a champion who defended his title. Luke, what percentage roughly do you think McGregor's pay-per-views do for the total UFC business? Man, probably a lot, somewhere around a third, maybe more than that. Is Habib the worst striker in the top 15 of the lightweight division? He might be, but the question is, does that matter? He might be. It's not a crazy thought, but it, it may not really matter. Or maybe it does. Do you think Tim Kennedy could get a title shot off of a win over Evans? Probably not. But Deadpool was really good, right? I did enjoy Deadpool, yes. I also, by the way, so I don't think I watched nothing but bad movies. I did see Kubo and the Two Strings. It's a very good movie. Uh, Pick one. a left from Conor McGregor on the jaw or a kick to the thigh from Jose Aldo. I will take the kick to the thigh. Anything else? Let's go back to the questions. Rate the UFC 206 card. I got to tell you that UFC 206 main card is suddenly looking pretty baller. Real quickly, let's go through this main card. Uh, Cormier versus... I'm going to put Cormier versus Misha Tate. That's not right. Cormier versus uh, Johnson, great. Max Holloway versus Anthony Pettis, great. Don Cerrone versus Matt Brown, great. Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi, great. And now you've got... Kennedy versus Evans. Also great. Um, so that's a great, great main card. Like, I don't know how well it's going to do a pay-per-view, but it's decent. And then last but not least. Luke, what do you prefer? A proper analysis or a mosh pit with drunken Irish fans? You mean me personally? Personally, I don't like being touched. So I would have to just start swinging on the Irish if they did that to me. But, you know, that's just me i have to give him some of that McGregor left player. All right. Thanks, everyone, who watched. Please be sure to like this video and share it around. I'll put the podcast up on SoundCloud and iTunes here shortly. I appreciate it. On my show today, I've got Wonderboy Thompson and Benson Henderson, uh, 4 p.m. Sirius XM 93. So thank you so much for watching. And, uh, guys, we'll have the T-shirt's out pretty soon. You guys are the best. Until next time, stay frosty.